Hi, this is Ryan Whitehead of Coinbase. We're building an accessible crypto economy where you can start and you can settle in. I'm on the edge of NFT, the podcast where you can settle in on the latest and greatest in the crypto economy and Web3. Hey there, NFT curious listeners. Stay tuned for today's episode and find out what Coinbase is doing to create a continuous reunion for all of its alums. And why today's guest's job is like breaking up a schoolyard fight mixed with science and philosophy. And how a buried tycoon launched his entrepreneurial journey at seven years old selling buckets and buckets of blueberry fun. All this and more on today's episode. And don't forget, we put together a little soiree called NFTLA just a few months back that brought out thousands of the world's most innovative doers in the NFT space. Head to nftla.live to get tickets to our bigger, bolder, better, but also just as intimate and impactful event happening in Los Angeles, March 20th to the 23rd, 2023. See you there. Welcome to The Edge of NFT with your hosts, Jeff Kelly, Ethan Janney, and Josh Krieger. The podcast that brings you the top 1% of NFTs today and what will stand the test of time. We explore the nuts and bolts and the business side, and also the human element of how NFTs are changing the way we interact with the things we love. This podcast is for the dreamers, disruptors, and doers who are pumped about this ecosystem and driving where it goes next. Today's episode features Ryan Whitehead, Director of Product Marketing for Ecosystems at Coinbase. Ryan oversees product marketing for Coinbase's developer and Web3 ecosystem products, including Coinbase Cloud, Coinbase Wallet, Coinbase NFT, asset listings, and core crypto services. Prior to Coinbase, Ryan spent six years at Facebook, building their global partnerships ecosystem to help businesses tap into Facebook's most sophisticated products at scale. Coinbase is building the crypto economy a more fair, accessible, efficient, and transparent financial system enabled by crypto. They started in 2012 with the idea that anyone anywhere should be able to easily and securely send and receive Bitcoin. Today, they offer a widely adopted and easy-to-use platform for accessing the broader crypto economy. Ryan, welcome to Edge of NFT. Thank you. Thank you. Excited to be here. I'm always Super jealous and feel a sense of inferiority when I hear these these radio voices. You guys have great radio voices, Jeff. Thank you. Thanks. thanks. It helps to add that, that microphone and you diaphragm. Know. I need to go down deep and speak more resonant tone. <laughs> right. <laughs> Lots of fun, man. It's, it's awesome to have you here and wow, representing Coinbase, uh, this uh, behemoth in the industry, the starting point for so many people. Such a, a monumental addition to the crypto space when it joined, hundred million plus users. And as I said, the basis for so many people's entry to this space, how did you find your way to Coinbase? Well, first of all, I'd like to say, I, you know, I hope we're not just the entry point for folks. I hope we help them stick around and grow and evolve in the space. And I hope some of those folks that maybe have entered the crypto economy through Coinbase and then migrated elsewhere look to come back because I think we're doing a lot of exciting things that would thrill them. And right? our retail advanced trading could bring the power traders back. You know, the wallet, the advances we make with wallet, I think should really bring people back. I think we have the best wallet out there. So I love the idea that we are the starting point because getting people started is a powerful thing. But I like to also think that we grow and evolve and help them grow and evolve. For sure. So yeah, we're going to 
dig in on a bunch of that today for sure. It could also be like the university that sends you a letter in the mail asking for donations. Hey, you started here. You know, you launched everything with us. We're looking for some donations. Yeah. For a special yeah. program. <laughs> You probably made lots of money. Now you're uh, in the alumni network. Exactly. There you go. (laughs) So how did I get started here? Well, as with so many people, I began dabbling in Bitcoin during the 2017, 2018 kind of ramp up and uh, getting really excited about it. And like a lot of people that period of time, didn't really know what the hell I was doing. It was just throwing money and chart goes up into the right. So like, this is thrilling, right? Check it every 15 minutes to see if I made another thousand dollars, right? And then, you know, with the crash, I was like so many other people, I, I kind of bailed on this. And, you know, I think my analysis at the time was I feel like this wasn't, I'll just say, I wasn't quite ready for me yet. I'm not like a hardcore financial trader. I don't buy and sell derivatives. I don't I'm not super advanced in the kind of financial space. So as a speculative like media, it wasn't really something that fit my needs. So I kind of looked at it and I was like, this is evolving. It's super fascinating, but people are building out a lot of the use cases and a lot of the, the kind of extensions. And so when I started seeing like DeFi summer come around and more use cases get, get built out, my interest peaked again. I started looking back again. And then just fortuitously, I got outreach from Coinbase saying, hey, you know, you've built this ecosystem over at Facebook. Would you like to come and do something very similar over here? And that instigated kind of a lot more research on my part. I thought we're really at this kind of inflection point. NFTs were super exciting to me. I actually didn't even know when I joined the team that I was going to be working on NFTs. So I kind of came back now or at that point a year a year ago because I felt like a lot of the use cases were being built out. And I wanted to be there before everything was fixed, right? Being there at the moment of creation, being there at these inflection points was really kind of thrilling to me. I still feel like crypto is, is wildly misunderstood and undervalued because of that. I'm really drawn to these kind of underdog type of stories. And I think crypto for all the adoption is still very much an underdog type of story. You know, I joined Facebook to run the marketing for their partner ecosystem at the time when the partner ecosystem was really in decline. They had built out an ecosystem of ad tech partners and drove a lot of ad revenue. And then slowly they built better ad tools in their own product. And those partners became more and more obsolete. But as I looked at that ecosystem, I thought like there's actually this huge opportunity for partners to help with many other things, with better creative, with better like AI, with better chatbots, you know, you name it, better data processing, data management. And so I felt like this was sort of an under-leveraged ecosystem and I kind of had that underdog mentality. And so I rushed in there to say like, we're going to reactivate this thing and make it skyrocket. So that was what drew me to Facebook originally. And I'll say that that same sort of like passion for the underdog and being there at the kind of moment of inception is what really drew me to Coinbase. Yeah, that's cool. And is it so it sounded like it was an outreach to you first and then kind of a peak of interest and then investigation and saying, yes, I want to get in there? Or was it something like, were you looking at getting into the crypto scene and in terms of your career or they just kind of put themselves on your radar? Well, I definitely was looking to get into something at that magic moment with technology, right? Where you're you're building something that like that gives people a sense of awe and inspiration. So I was looking in crypto, I was looking at other areas of startups, but really wanted to go with that kind of moment of awe. Like first time you order something on Amazon and it shows up, you know, the next day, or you're looking for something you couldn't find anywhere. And it's, you know, I was talking to my wife this weekend about like just buying books when I was a kid, right? I'm a big reader. And I remember bugging my mom to drive me to the mall. Like, and then we'd go to B. Dalton or Walden Books or something, and and the book you'd want wasn't there. And so then you'd have to bug and you'd say, Well, can we go to the big city? Can we go to Portland, Oregon? I lived 
near Portland, Oregon, and maybe you look at the B. Dalton, the Walden's there, and you kind of hunt for it. Maybe it's a month later, right? And then you Amazon comes, and there's this sense of like awe, this magical sense that every book I've ever wanted is right there. And not only that, it'll be on my doorstep. And you know, at that point, it was maybe by end of week, right? And then it was two days from now, and then it was a day from now. So I wanted to be in a place where we were delivering that sense of like awe and magic to people for the first time. And that really wasn't what was happening at Facebook at that moment. I think we had those moments where we delivered like awe and magic where people uploaded a photo to Instagram and, you know, built, rebuilt connections with their family, their friends, but it was sort of past that moment of awe. And so I wanted to get back to the moment of like magic and creation. Yeah. There's that point where you just get used to stuff, you know, like riding a plane, except for my four-year-old is taken for granted these days, right? But there was that moment where people didn't even think you could do that. And that's crazy to think of. And you are on the edge of NFT literally right now. And so you have stationed your place here at the edge of what's going on. And the magic is what we bring. And you've been doing things with Coinbase NFT. They've been busy since its launch. You know, What are you cooking up over there specifically? New drops, features, stuff like that? What should we be pumped about? What should you be pumped about? Well, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what I'm pumped about. Hopefully it's stuff that will we'll get folks pumped. I mean, certainly we're going to keep doing drops. We're going to keep partnering with new creators and rolling out new features. But what I'm really pumped about is how we are bringing multiple products together. So, and I think this is something that we can do that no other company right now in the space can, can do quite as effectively or even at all. I'm really excited about all the work we're doing with Wallet to make it easier for people to see their collection, manage their connection, our collection. We've recently released alerts where you can see bids that are placed on NFTs across multiple marketplaces in your wallet. They, you know, whether it's Coinbase, whether it's Rarible, whether it's OpenSea, you can see that all in one place. So being this kind of very effective gateway to Web3 for folks and just making it simple and easy to interact, not having to drift around in multiple different marketplaces. I'm excited about that. I'm excited about the tools that we're releasing, starting to release for developers, right? Because I don't, I don't think that we or Rarible or OpenSea or anyone is going to build like the holistic stack for NFTs. So releasing tools to developers, I think, is going to be a way that we're going to you know bring the inflection point of creation and adoption forward. So this DAP starter kit that we released for developers that allows people to very little or no coding experience to release projects rapidly, I think is super exciting. We're going to do a lot more in the developer space for builders. You know, of course, more drops and more features there. What else? That's definitely cool, you know, about the... Yeah, I think, you know, I'll just stop with those, like the work we're doing in Wallet and the work we're doing with for developers. It's kind of a multi-audience approach, a multi-product approach that ladders up to what I think of as, as Coinbase is really three key brand values, just simplicity and usability, right? Simple and easy to use, trustworthy, right? You know, there's safety and security working with Coinbase and then being a gateway to yeah. Web3, right? Yeah, so yeah, I mean, easily- yeah, I'd like to go deeper there. And, you know, certainly Coinbase has had a meaningful impact in my life and a lot of lives of people in the crypto space. I think as I reflect back, it was just so darn easy to use. Even the more advanced version of Coinbase for advanced trading was so easy to use relative to other tools that are out there. And I think Coinbase has consistently been a leader from a UX experience perspective. And Maybe you can kind of peel that onion for us a little bit and kind of give us more of a sense of how you guys have stayed so consistently focused on this design system. I think in a way, 
I'd give kudos to Facebook as well. The usability there is what really, I think, drove adoption. And as you're looking at this wallet technology and new drops and all the different stuff that you guys are cooking up, it's very clear that design is part of that user experience and that onboarding process. So I'd love to like get your thoughts on that component of the bigger play here. Yeah, I think the key is, this is so easy to say, but so hard to do. It's just building for the customer, solving customer problems and creating customer joy, focusing on those two things. It's really easy, I think, on the cutting edge of technology in particular for people to build for themselves, to build for that cutting edge and to think to have a kind of revolutionary mindset and think everybody's going to become like a total DJ and they're going to want these super advanced tools. You start building for yourself. You lose the customer. I think that's very easy to do. Or you start reacting to the competition. You start thinking, well, so-and-so released this thing. We've got to release that thing. Or we need to differentiate ourselves from them. To me, differentiation is not an input. Differentiation is an output. Focusing on what customers really need. You know, another tricky part of that idea of like focusing on the customer, right? Solving their problems, creating joy for them is actually knowing who the hell your customer really is. That's a non-trivial problem. And I think for us in particular, it's a non-trivial problem because we're trying to build for you know the next 100 million or billion people that are entering into the crypto economy, right? So how do you parse that? How do you segment that out? How do you bring the right people in? How do you build for you know really advanced customers while not leaving the noobs or the uh, kind of intenders behind? I think about somebody like Apple, right? Apple is renowned for both being incredibly easy to use, but also having like the best camera, the best phone, right? It's very rare, I think, in the world that you have a product that is both renowned for being the easiest and the best. That's not common, right? The most advanced, right? Like the most advanced camera, it's got the most advanced tooling, right? And so I think that there's there's a very challenging kind of like Venn diagram that we're trying to put together there of like being both the best and the most advanced and the most sophisticated. There's a saying, a jazz composer, Thelonious Monk, I think, said simple ain't easy. And I love using the saying, it's simple ain't easy, right? Just to go to provide like really simple security across our products, we have to do some of the most advanced cryptography research, applied research in order to make it very, very simple for people to get security across all of our products. So zooming back out, I think, how, how do we make this happen? You focus on the customer, solving the problems, creating joy. You don't get distracted by building for yourself. You don't get distracted by trying to compete with the competition. You think about differentiation as an outcome. And then I think you get to like beautiful, elegant solutions that way. That's cool. And your role is on the marketing side, but clearly you have a product design development background. When you look at marketing Coinbase's suite of products, do you think of it from a design framework as well? And are you doing similar types of agile methods of testing marketing approaches and and using focus groups and sort of different ways of sort of understanding your customer? And how does all that fit together? First of all, I'll say that I am product marketing. Product marketing, pretty much every company has like one foot in product and one foot kind of in the marketing org. And I don't even know how to use this analogy well, but I, I often think like we're like, product marketing is like the child of divorced parents in a sense. We've got like the product org telling us one thing, you got the marketing org telling you another thing. And our job is to sort of mediate these things like mom said this, dad said this. And so we're sort of bouncing between the two. But we kind of have to think about, you know, I personally, and I think at Coinbase, this is true across the board is our product marketing org really like focuses on the product and believes that the product is the starting point for everything, right? You can't tell a story about a product that isn't good, right? You can't convince people for enduring periods of time about like a brand story if the product doesn't support it. So everything starts really with the product. And we think about product marketing a little bit like the first mile and the last mile bookends, 
for the product, right? At the first mile, it's out there talking to the customers and trying to figure out what they need, what they want, maybe what they need that they don't know they need. So a ton of research, a ton of like customer interaction there. So yeah, there's a lot of like interaction there. We work closely with research teams, UX research teams, customer insights teams do like, you know, longitudinal studies and do like rapid reaction type things, customer focus groups, et cetera. So that's kind of the first mile is making sure that you're taking customer input and putting that into product. Now, again, I'll say that we do look at competing products in the marketplace, but that is not that competition is not the germ of things. It's really the customer and the problem that they're experiencing. And then at the the kind of last mile, it's really go to market. You know, once you've built this product of their input, how do you tell a story about it that resonates with them? And how do you package it up with all of the other products that you have as a company? And I think that's the big challenge for us right now at Coinbase is that we have built this really incredible suite of products that are starting to come together in very coherent ways across like wallet, DAP browser, across pay being the easiest on-ramp for fiat, you know, wallet SDK making it easy for all kinds of different dApps to like utilize our wallet. Like all of these things are kind of bringing this portfolio together. So telling that story and bringing the, the kind of portfolio products together in a holistic way. So first mile, last mile, rooted in product. I don't know if that answered your question. I tend to go off on, on detours. No, super helpful. It's great. Yeah, absolutely. So let's zoom out for a minute, Ryan, and, and talk a little bit about the evolving world of NFTs, the world that we live and breathe. And let's look out over the next year or so. I mean, how do you anticipate NFTs evolving here over the next year plus? And what do you think its impact will be in the world of Web3? And specifically, Jeff wants to know which NFTs to buy. But which NFTs yeah, to buy? This year. Yeah. that's. I am not the person to talk about which NFTs to buy with because I, I do not think about, well, I mean- That's kidding. I'm about your kidding, passion, of course. <laughs> if, you're, if it's about your passion, but I am not, I don't really- there are a lot of people that look at it as a spe speculative financial instrument. And I think we do want to build for those people, but I don't think that that is the evolution, right? So if we talk about what the evolution is, I think the evolution is that, yes, there will be increasingly sophisticated tools for people that want to look at this as a speculative financial device, right? There's really interesting things going in, in the, on in the NFT Fi world, so to speak. But that will continue. That stream will continue on, but I think it will be a tributary of the mainstream, which is more utility around experiences with NFTs. I don't know over the next year how far we get with that, but I think we're doing a lot of things to build like fundamental tooling that allow the DAP starter kit is a great example, building this foundational tooling that other people can build on top of and continue to evolve. But I think it's all going to be built around utility. When I say utility, I don't, and I think that it was, obviously it's a big meme when utility with any kind of NFT product that releases, like when you're going to have a game, when you're going to have a metaverse, I think there are some basic utilities that people want. They want something to do with identity. They want something to do, like identity leads to something to do with like access, token gating. You know, I think those two things alone are really powerful pieces of utility. Customization, personality, token gating leads to customization. I think those three things are going to be part of the evolution over the next year. I think those are fundamental primitives of like the utility or NFTs in the future. Right. And are you aware of or, or dialed in at all on any new standard of NFT? Obviously, ERC 1155 helped advance the ball for us. And we know that the next evolution will incorporate other features, many of which you were just talking about, a lot of which can be you know built out and programmed under the current standard. Is there anything that's crossed your desk that you've seen that indicates like something else that's a little bit more robust even than where we're at today? I'll say nothing that I've dug deep enough into to be like an expert on. So I, I dodged this question. You know, some of the things that I'm more looking at these days are, you know, I'm looking at the thing that I've been sort of 
fascinating with recently is Pseudoswap. Like, what do people expect from NFTs? What do we think the givens are, right? To me, it's a given that a creator should get paid for their product, right? And so, you know, I look at that and I look at, I think about the customer problem that we're trying to solve there or the consumer problem that we're trying to solve there. Creators, one of the reasons creators rush into the space is that it's a more fair and equitable financial system for them. If there's an adoption of, you know, these liquidity pools like Pseudoswap and people stop paying creators fees, then what does that do to the economy? That's something that philosophically deeply worries me. I think it's a fascinating application of technology. It's one of the things I really love about the crypto space is this composability. You get these kind of primitives and these ideas and you can apply them in different areas. Oh, liquidity pools. Let's apply that to buying and selling of NFTs. It's like, it's one of the wonderful, like, you know, people use the Cambrian explosion of ideas in the crypto space. It's one of the wonderful examples of that. But I, I started asking myself, just because we can do things, does that mean we should do things? And do we have to kind of look at like, I think I don't want to create a chilling effect around the experimentation. I think that's how kind of ideas advance is that we try all kinds of things. Experimentation should be unfettered. But then at some point you need to step back and say, oh, is this really good for the type of ecosystem we're trying to nurture? So I know I'm dodging your question, but I spend more time thinking about that type of stuff and like, what is the role of, of an exchange like Coinbase in this sort of world or a company that really cares about creating an equitable financial system and onboarding creators to the creator economy? Like, what is our role in a world where there are really fascinating, really powerful technology like Pseudoswap out there that kind of circumvent a lot of those things? That's great. We appreciate it. Yeah, that's that. Yeah, it's great stuff that. That's not on everybody's radar. So it's really, really cool to hear about it. You probably, you know, it's on your radar, but it's good to get exposure to these type of things. You know, by the way, you know, I'm, I'm recollecting, I got a chance to listen to, I think it was How I Built This. And Brian Armstrong, I think, had, a, had an interview on How I Built This. I got to listen to that a couple of months ago. For, for anybody that's sort of interested in sort of the evolution of the company, right? How, how things have evolved there, really recommend people check that out. And also when you talked about building a story around something in order to, to kind of market it, you know, there's often the fallback of like, okay, well, don't focus too much on marketing. You got to focus on having a good product, right? You can't market away a good product and make people like it. But on the other hand, again, for some reason, I'm plugging how I built this. They had a really interesting episode talking about this guy who is marketing a grain out of Africa that's called Phonio. And basically he's doing what they did for quinoa out of, out of like Peru and Latin America. And kind of building a story around this grain that has a lot of value. But through the story, it's not like manufacturing value out of nothing, right? The story matters, right? And I think that you clearly see that. And I don't know what that has to do exactly with like the collaborations and partnerships. And then you having such a strong like vision around that. But it's interesting that you bring that to the table. Any new partnerships, collaborations in the works for what you're doing with Coinbase or that you see on the timeline? Well, first of all, your, your point about about stories. You know, I think like humans are storytelling creatures, right? That is a fundamental like need that we have. And if you, what is it? Like the book Sapiens, I believe is the book, like how we became human, right? One of the things that is discussed there is that humans can tell stories. And one of the things about telling stories is that we can create broader networks of people because we can like tell truths and we can also gossip, right? You know, you could only build a community of, of, let's say 180 people if it's based on primary knowledge. I have to know you and know like, you know, Ethan's a good guy. He pays his bills, right? Jeff's a deadbeat. Jeff, don't load, don't give Jeff a fish. He'll never give you a fish when he has a bumper crop of fish, right? You can tell these stories. And so you can build larger networks of people because I can come to you and I can say, I can say, hey, I don't know Jeff, but, but you do. Is Jeff a good guy? And you can be like, don't trust him with your fish, man. So stories are like a fundamental human thing. 
so I think like, I don't think it's surprising that we bundle these together now. What's the point of that for NFTs? I don't know. But I do think that like, it is a fundamental human need to want a good story, want to imbue things with meaning. And it's uh, interesting how you build it into the, yeah, the partner, the networks and yeah, the partnerships too. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. Cut you off. I mean, in a weird way, like NFTs are form of storytelling, right? Form of creating a network, a community. Like what does it tell the world about you that you're part of Bored Apes or part of Moonbirds or that you were there early, right? I think a lot of the value of these is not necessarily just in the art, but in the connections that they create and the stories that they tell about you. And it's, I don't think it's any surprise that one of the first things that people think about when they think about utility is like, how does it play a role in some bigger universe, some bigger kind of like, which is always about universe building is always about storytelling, right? What is the universe beyond board eight? Well, you can create this land, this game, this wizard cult that I, is that the right? Wizard cult, visible ruins, wizard, wizard cult. They, you know, one of the big things that activated their community was allowing people to write on-chain lore about and rewarding them for writing on-chain lore. So I think there is something fundamental about storytelling in NFT space. I will say, so going back to your question, which is about partnerships, no new partnerships really to announce, but I think that, you know, coming from Facebook, I think the partnership with Meta to allow people on Instagram to store their NFTs in, in Coinbase wallet is a powerful one. I think a lot of people might look at that with like kind of look at it askance of like, oh, you're moving back from web three to web web three to web two. But I think what it actually is for us is that we want to be the gateway to web three for folks. And so if we can bring people out of that ecosystem into the web three crypto ecosystem, you know, that's that was the setup of this episode, right? We were the starting point in the honor for folks. And if you come from Instagram to Coinbase Wallet and they become a DGen, like mission accomplished, right? That's a partnership that I'm really excited about. No, that was super cool. In fact, we had Dapper on the show the day that news dropped. And that was a monumental partnership. I mean, that you, that several major players in the space came together with Instagram to onboard. When you think of all the news around Meta the last quarter or two, to me, that was one of the most significant things that has happened in the space. Yeah, I mean, having worked at Facebook, I know that eventually they will try to build everything. That is just in their DNA is to try to build everything. But I don't know where that journey will end. But, you know, it, it's interesting that we saw like Novi didn't really take off. They're partnering with wallets first. So maybe this does transform a little bit of how they operate to, you know, realize that in this decentralized world, you need to work with partners and protocols on a little bit more of an egalitarian basis. I mean, that was always when I was working there, that was one of the things that I was pushing for. If you want your partners to commit to you and to want to work with you, you need to treat them well, right? And you need to have like a value exchange where ultimately in that value exchange of a partnership, everybody should feel like they're getting out more than they're putting in, right? If any one person feels like, yeah, this is good for me, but I'm kind of getting screwed. The other guy's getting more out of this deal than I really am. That's not a good partnership. I think really good partnerships should feel like they're value creating rather than just like shifting value from one player to the other. Totally agree. And I think that's what NFTLA and is all about, right? Co-creation, you know, and we saw it happen there over and over again, where interesting people were realizing that the sum is greater than its parts. That's a lot of what Jeff and I did at our previous company, Territory Foods, where we shared value with the chefs that co-created meals and we shared revenue and it made dramatic changes in their lives. And we put their brand on with us on the labels. And I think not everyone wants to be behind the scenes. They want a seat at the table and they want equal credit and attribution. And I think that's possible now with blockchain and Web3 and NFT projects in a way that wasn't previously readily available. And it, it's a forcing function, I think, for, for larger companies. And we're talking about Meta a lot, but it's really for all companies to think about co-creation in a different light. Yeah. 
there's a change in power structures that happens through these technologies that is really fascinating. We could kind of go in that down that rabbit hole and I won't, but I think that's one of the things that really excited me about it. And when I moved from Facebook over here is that, you know, when you have a lot of power, it's very difficult to not exercise it. And I think that I was interested in systems that were by nature a little bit more self-correcting and egalitarian. What was your major in college, by the way, Ryan? I'm just curious. It drifted. I started off as an engineer and ended up as a philosophy and literature major. Shit, I was going to say right. philosophy before there, you there said it. Is. it. I was going to say it. Is. I knew it. I knew it. That, <laughs> that explains a lot. It, you guys got to make a bet. You got to say it before. <laughs> I Put know. it on the line. Oh, Come on. Man. I just Come on. One. You don't yeah. get credit uh, after this. Yeah, you don't. Right. You don't. You don't. That's why I'm you so don't. upset. Yeah. Well, <laughs> but I, you know, even even within that, like what, what I was really fascinated with was like how ideas cross-pollinate. So I did history and philosophy of science mostly. So it's like, how does science become a thing? Like how does magic, literal magic, turn into science? Or you've got these figures that are polymaths like Isaac Newton, where you know we know him as like the father of calculus and, and a lot of physics, Newtonian mechanics. But the guy also did like alchemy wrote like extensive treatises on alchemy and magic, right? And it's, so it's very fascinating with these ideas where, you know, people, like all ideas are on the table. And I feel like there is something like that here in the crypto space right now. Is it alchemy? Is it, is it fake? Are we trying to turn lead to gold? Or is this the future physics and the future magic? So my history, my fascination with this kind of stuff goes deep seated, I guess. Very cool, man. Well, you're also very fascinating. We want to get to know you as a human, but just curious, like, as you're looking at the space, you mentioned a few projects that I think are quite fascinating. Anything else in the space that has your attention or that has inspired you on your own journey in NFTs specifically? Yeah, I mean, I'll go back to the first people I met when I joined Coinbase to work on NFTs was the folks at Visible Ruins Wizard Cult. And like they they inspired me because they were really trying to inclusive and build this like very like broad community, like literally like grandmas getting into crypto and doing like writing lore with their like grandchildren. And I was just like, this is so damn wholesome. It's amazing. Right. And it's like bringing people into crypto, not because they wanted to speculate and become whales or, or whatever, but because it was a way to connect and sort of have fun, joy. Right. So it really was solving like this customer problem. How do I create more connection with my grandchild and how do I have fun? Right. It solved this problem and it brought joy. So that really was an inspiring project for me. I, as a kind of art buff, like I still really love the generative art. I think the problem with generative art is it's so easy to make crap and the good stuff can get sort of drowned in the crap, but there's incredible work in the generative art space. It's sort of like electronic music or ambient music, right? It's like easy to just turn on a drum machine and put some sort of weird synth at the top of it and put out garbage, right? But like the great stuff is great. Right. So I think generative art is something that really like, you know, so art blocks when I got in, it was, I still think that that stuff is like seminal to the whole industry. And Gary V doesn't need any kudos or props, but I do love the way that Gary is uh, really working on those pieces of utility that I mentioned, right? Which is like, how do we tie NFTs to personality and to community and to exclusive experiences? VCon, as much as I went in as a skeptic, was kind of mind-blowing for me that it brought together such a weird Venn diagram of people that like only Gary V could bring together. And I was like, other people need to insert themselves in the middle of these Venn diagrams, right? It's like he is, it's not like he's unique. He's just maybe a prototype for what other people can do. So I think his projects are really fascinating. Maybe many of them will fail, maybe they won't, but I think they're 
I think they're trailblazing. Yeah, for sure. We had the pleasure of, uh, of hanging out there with that group as well. Always interested to see, you know, what he's working on and, and you know, where uh, he thinks things will go as well. Ryan, this is very cool. So many fun things happening at Funbase. Your contribution there is uh, really obvious. And I'm really excited about where you take things from here, uh, especially as we think about your history and, and how you describe it and how you think about things, man. So really excited to see what your next steps are, man. Hey there, NFT Space Cadet. Let's zoom in on the globe from outer space today to Abbott Kinney Boulevard in Venice Beach, LA. Let me show you a cosmic tech beacon that shines out among the bustle of fashion, art, and food there. It's a thriving software dev, data science, and design studio known as AE Studio, where scores of the sharpest minds have come together to help founders and execs create software and machine learning solutions that are not only profitable and increase our agency as humans, but that give us that warm, fuzzy feeling that elegant tech so wonderfully does. AE's breadth of talent allows them to build anything from instillvideo.com, it's a health, fitness, and wellness app that makes your chakras tingle, to award-winning brain-computer interface solutions that could quite literally bend our minds. Oh, and keep an eye out for Token Runners, their NFT white-label marketplace, as well as our highly anticipated NFT drop, Boomer NFT. Now, for all you DGENs who strive to shed the cummerbund and pearls, comes a jaw-dropping, awe-inspiring partnership not seen since the heyday of Shaq and Kobe. It's called Edge of AE Studio, and you can find out all about it at edgeofae.com. That's right, this full-service, soup-to-nuts, end-to-end, whole-enchilada NFT service can help you, yes you Randy, launch your NFT project. Edge of NFT and AE Studio have come together like Voltron to get your project in gear so you can hightail it straight to the moon, stardom, and maybe even your own private yacht. Go to edgeofae.com to find out more. That's edgeofae.com. Actual results may vary depending on moon landing location, domain of stardom, scale and model of yacht, as well as weather scale model of yacht or actual yacht. In the meantime... Though we'd like to get to know you a little bit better with these questions we have called Edge Quick Hitters. It's these 10-set questions looking for short, single-word or, or few-word responses, but we may dive in a little bit deeper here or there. You ready to jump in on these? Yeah, I'll keep it tight. I'm, I'm, I go long, but I'll keep it tight. All right. You got it, brother. Question number one. What's the first thing you remember ever purchasing in your life? Comic books. Are you a fan of something in particular? We got to get that. Oh man, you know, I was a Marvel kid. And then, you know, when, as I got older and like edgy, like dark horse and stuff started coming out, like I got into stuff like edgier comics and graphic novels, the Frank Miller stuff, like Dark Knight and all those things, Ronin. Yeah. Nice, nice. Ryan, this is going to be too late for our listeners, but tune in this Thursday at 5.30. We're going to have three of the leaders in the comic NFT industry on Twitter spaces. So you might enjoy checking that out. I will definitely check it out. Amazing. Question number two. What is the first thing you remember ever selling in your life? Berries. Okay. <laughs> I, uh, we I, need uh, some I more. <laughs> and like, I was a hustler as a kid, man. I was like, I wanted the money. Like seven years old, I would go and pick berries in the summer. And you could like bucket, a big giant bucket of blueberries would sell for 20 bucks. And I would go there. Like I was like a little Warren Buffett, like by the time I was 13 or 14 on that just berry money. I was a berry tycoon. The very king. Nice. Yeah. Question number three. What's the most recent thing you purchased? Wine. Mm. 
squish those berries. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I'm in, I'm, in, I'm in Oregon. I'm touring through Oregon. And so, you know, there's wineries and, you know, got to support the local economy. There's a theme evolving. Guys, question number four, what's the most recent thing you sold? Pretty much all my furniture. So I told you guys before the, the episode started, I'm on a seven month road trip while I remodel my house in Oakland. And so we were just like, did the great purge, sold like all of our furnishings and packed everything in the car and hit the road. Right on. Question number five, what's your most prized possession? You know, this is going to be funny. My first instinct was to say my bike. I love riding my bike. I love getting out in nature. It's my time to think and sort of like resolve problems. But and I was like, my wife will hate that. And she's listening and she hates that I go on these long bike rides. So I'll say my wedding ring. <laughs> ah, <laughs> nice. Score some points. Nice. <laughs> I like it. Question number six, if you could buy anything in the world, digital, physical service and experience, it's currently for sale. What would it be? Ooh. It's a tough one. This is the most pensive we've had. <laughs> I did a group trip. Like I rented a house on the coast of a couple of co- houses on the coast of Oaxaca, invited all my friends down. And that was just one of the greatest experiences, right? To be able to like bring all your friends together somewhere. So I'd do something like that. I just got booted. Question number seven. If you could pass on one of your personality traits to the next generation, what would it be? Seeking balance. Yeah. Love it. I Question. try to see both sides of the story, you know, and kind of empathy and like the truth is usually not between the, is not at one of the poles. Mm-hmm. Love it. Question number eight, if you could eliminate one of your personality traits from the next generation, what would that be? I'd listen more. I'd like to hear myself talk a little bit less. Okay. So if you want to do that. Don't listen to the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> uh, just, hey, just a little tip, Ryan. If I'm a talker too, there's nothing like having an interview-based podcast to force you to listen more. It's pretty helpful. So I, I would love to. I'm always inspired by like the people that ask great questions, right? Like there's always that person that like comes into a meeting and they don't say anything. And at the end, they ask two questions. You're like, they just totally like blew my mind or changed the way everybody thought about everything, right? And it's just like, it's about asymmetrical effort, right? They find it's like, or some sort of like martial arts style where you just apply the minimum amount of pressure at the exact right place and just change everything. Powerful. And so I think we got a quote. We should flag that. All right. And nice. Question number nine. What did you do just before joining us on the podcast? Scribbled down some notes and got really nervous. <laughs> Doesn't that show at all. Much. Yeah. Question number 10. What are you going to do next after the podcast? Oh man, probably look at Slack and cry. <laughs> Nice. All those things I ignored while I was you too? trying okay. to that yes. We did. Josh, was it you that was talking about Manic Monday earlier, I guess? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It turns out it was, uh, I guess, the Bengals that made that one famous. It also turns out that it was Prince that wrote that. Do you guys know that? That's crazy. Yeah. Oh, nice. Believe it or not, Prince is dope. Fingerprints on so many, so many amazing things. He wrote all the good stuff. Yeah. Well, anyway, that's Edge Quick Hitters, Ryan. Thanks so much for sharing with us. We do appreciate it. Yeah. In the interest of time, we wanted to actually move on and talk about a segment here that is really important to us. And we love to elevate people in our orbit that make a difference, man, that, that, that move the needle for us personally, professionally, uh, organizationally. And wanted to give the floor to you and to, to give a little shout out to, uh, to someone in your orbit that does that. Yeah. It's got to be woman on my team, marketing team, Coinbase, Simran Bellaria joined us from TikTok and Instagram, where she was working with creators and has just really built out all of the methods by which we identify partners to work with, onboard them, help make sure that their drops with us are are a success. And just the detail, the attention to detail and the empathy, the care that she demonstrates working with our creators 
I think is something that really, they obviously feel like it's something that differentiates us from, from other platforms. You could do your drop with, creators can take their art anywhere. And I think they bring it to us in part because Simran shows such tender, loving care. So shout out to her. Big shout out. That's beautiful. How do you spell her name again? S-I-M-R-E-N. R-E-N. That's a good, uh, that's a fun name too. A-R-I-A. Yeah. Rolls off the tongue. Simran, much love. Appreciate your effort. All right. Well, Ryan, before we let you go, man, I want to do a couple of things. First, we got to direct folks to where they can follow you and the best place to go for all of Coinbase's latest adventures. Where should we send them? Well, I think Twitter. Twitter is, you got to go to Twitter, right? It's crypto. You got to be at Twitter. So for me, you can just at Ryan Whitehead, at Ryan underscore Whitehead, Twitter, follow Coinbase NFT, follow Coinbase Wallet. There's so much cross-pollination going on there. Follow Coinbase as well. It's where all the news breaks. So follow us there. And then, you know, if you haven't uh, created an account at Coinbase NFT, go do that. You can use any wallet you want. I hope you choose Coinbase Wallet. If you are a longtime MetaMask user, give it a whirl. I think you'll be impressed by a lot of the functionality there. And that's it. Amazing. Also, word on the street is we have an amazing giveaway to make available to some of our listeners. It's uh, for three Coinbase gift boxes. These are valued at like 500 bucks each, physical boxes, y'all. It's going to be limited to folks in the United States, but we'll leave that to the Coinbase team to determine. That said, keep an eye out on our socials for the details on how to get a hold of one of these bad boys, or at least have an opportunity to get a hold of one of them. So I'm really thankful for that. Appreciate it. Very generous, Brian. Yeah. And if I can chime in here, these are, just so people know, these are original art creations by from the launch partners for Coinbase NFT. So you get physical items from Fuck Render, from Beige, from Greg Mike number of other partners in the box. So, you know, check it out on Twitter. People have shared some of the photos of these things. They're incredibly beautiful physical items. They're not everything can be digital. That's right. Exactly. Well, thanks again, man. We really do appreciate it. Okay, guys. Well, I think we've reached the outer limit at the edge of NFTs for today. So thanks for exploring with us. We've got space for more adventurers on this starship. So invite your friends and recruit some cool strangers that will make this journey all so much better. How? Go to Spotify or iTunes right now, rate us and say something awesome. Then go to edgeofnft.com to dive further down the rabbit hole. Also, look us up on all major social platforms by typing Edge of NFT with no spaces and start a fun conversation with us online. Be sure to tune in next time for more great NFT content. Thanks again for sharing this time with us today. This episode was brought to you by today's guest and sponsor. The creators of Edge of NFT will be compensated to support the production costs associated with the program. We are very selective when deciding who to have on these shows, but we are learning as we go just like you. The views expressed are for educational, informational, and entertainment purposes only, and are not intended to serve as an endorsement or investment advice. You are urged to do your own research as well as consult a reputable financial advisor before making any investment or purchase decision.